mask is only off because I don't want it to interfere with the mic. I'm just telling you from me personally, thank you for wearing a mask during the service. We know it's, it's different. I just have to appreciate the leadership who has to deal with the, you know, the complexity of things and they're serving us and the challenge of all this. But we praise a God who is bigger than any distraction we could ever have. It does mean that you shouldn't get within six feet of me, so if you were planning on running up on stage and giving me a hug, I need to keep you from doing that. My name is David Humiston. I'm not on staff here. I'm not on the pastoral staff. Um, I work at Electric Boat, uh, which is kind of fitting. I'm a structural engineer. As we'll see today when we talk about methods and, and God's process, EB is a good place for me where everything is like precise and just so. It means that when I see something like this, where you take a bite out of the gum on a strip, oh, it drives me crazy. There are things where process doesn't matter. This is an example of where process doesn't matter. It's just something that might drive you crazy. And if you're in a relationship or are married, you know that whoever you're with probably doesn't have the same standards for doing things as you do. It's okay. We're here in the Advent season, and we're going through the passage of Galatians 4, 4 through 5, for all four weeks. Last week, Zach taught us about God's right timing. Today, we'll be talking about the right way. That is the way that God sent his son. Um, next week, Andy Bonner will talk to us about the right reason and interacting with the law. And finally, Gary will close us up with the right result. That is our being accepted as adopted sons. Now, I've seen a fair amount of construction stuff and I come from a home where the house was built by a builder and you may know that if your house was built by a, a, a contractor, it can go one of two ways. It could either be perfect because they do everything perfectly and they get all the best stuff or it could be where they slap it all together because they have the leftovers and that's what I have. And I've also been to Haiti so I've seen some, uh, some very resourcefulness but nothing is as crazy as what I found here. This guy who put this, this uh, building in his backyard uh, as soon as that pops up, you'll see that it doesn't even have a foundation. It's a wonder all of things are sticking up. You look at the roof, and I find myself asking, did he weave them together? Did he try to tape the boards? You look at the walls, and it, or the floors, and it's just like, well, okay, you can see through it. That's fine. And uh, we're going to put some shelves in here. That'll be fine. Think of all the heavy, strong things you can put on these wavy, wavy boards. And the end result is nothing to squawk at. That's not an optical illusion. It actually bends in two ways from the front and the back. Oh, it drives me crazy. Construction may not be your thing. Maybe you're a baker. Um, have you ever tried to make a gingerbread house? Did it come out like this? I'm happy to say this is a picture from online. This is not mine. I am so happy to say that although I can relate to these because I don't do everything perfectly and you probably don't either, God does things better than this, all right? Our roadmap for today is going to be three things about the way that God does things. First, why the method matters. Why it matters how God did what he did. Two, what was that method? And punchline, that's God sending his son as a baby for us. And three, what that method means to us. So before we dig into that, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we look forward to digging into uh, uh, your word. We thank you that you came because you care about us and that you were willing to make yourself small and that you cut through time and space to do that so you would be near us. We ask that uh, you would write on our hearts what you have for us today. 
In your son's name we pray, amen. So Galatians 4, 4 through 5. When the time had come to completion, and this is what God did, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. This is the passage that we're going to look at for these four weeks. But before we start looking at what he actually did and how he did it, we have to stop and say, why method matters? Why does it matter? Why would she look at not just the results, but how God did it? And before you do that, I always find it helpful when you're dealing with a complex or difficult problem to consider what is the problem. Whatever problem you have, you have to find a way to solve it that solves the original problem. You can't just do something good that doesn't hit at the root cause. Like at work, I'm constantly facing when big problems and people bring me things, I have to say, well, what are you trying to solve? What is the root problem? And in fact, when someone calls me, I typically don't give them an answer until I've listened enough to find out what they need it for so that they don't misinterpret what is there. You gotta find out it's a big problem, little problem, who it affects and all that. So what does that mean for here? What it means for here is that we have the problem of sin. We all know we're in a messy world. I mean, I don't think I have to remind any of you that this is not exactly how we intended. The problem is that God created the world good. That's the good part. That's not the problem yet. And God created Adam and Eve for a purpose, to be in communion with him. And that's why we have that need for relationship and for him. And we feel that emptiness when we don't. But God told them the way it should be. And they didn't want to follow his way. And they said, I don't want to do it your way. I want to be control of my own life. And they disobeyed and ate the fruit that he had forbidden. And from that point on, we have been in this position. Not only was our relationship between God and us broken, but the world was broken with us. That's where we are now. The root problem is that we are separated from God because of that original sin and all of our sinful nature for everyone from then until now. And since the world broke with that, you know, we were subjected to all this pain and suffering. And that's where we are. And like we said, the solution has to fit the problem. You could choose an easy path, right? God could have just wiped everyone out, all the earth, all the people. But that, wouldn't, that would solve the problem of sin and disobedience against him and insult against him, but it wouldn't solve the problem that he desires to be with us, right? Or you could say, well, what if he just said it's no big deal? Hey, I really like these people. I, I just want to let that go. That's not a good solution either because we shouldn't want, desire, or expect a God that isn't perfect, right? We shouldn't want that. Sometimes we wish it was easier, but I think we should all appreciate that we need and want to have a God who doesn't compromise and can't just let some injustice or horrible thing go unpunished because, you know, it happens to everyone. But the problem here is that there's our ways and his ways. And I think that we know that these are very different. Let me tell you this from Romans 11:33. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Our limitations as people fundamentally impair our ability to understand God's ways, okay? He is so far above us 
that we just can't understand. But he found a way to, to address that. And we're fundamentally different. And I think the easiest way for me to think about that is he is completely good and I am not. And you guys aren't either, but you're with me there, okay? I think the easiest way for me to understand this is the fact that whenever I've had to deal with difficult people in my life, I always wanted to give up on them long before God does. And I don't mean that that's because God is going to wait just a little bit longer and then give up on them. I mean, God doesn't give up on them, hasn't given up on them, won't give up on them, and won't give up on you. And just in that one picture of my, uh, my fight to stick with it, to care for people, shows me the difference between how good he is and how lacking I am of that. He also sees things that we can't see and knows things that we don't know. He says in Isaiah, for my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. Because of this, since we don't always see all the things that he sees and we don't know what his plan is, we find ourselves asking, God, why are you doing this? Are you even good? Look at the mess in my life. Look at this year. I think for a lot of people, it's really not as hard. The big problem with uh, believing in God is not believing that God exists. It's believing that he's good and that he can be trusted to care for us. But he shows us that he can be trusted. And if you think about all the pictures of authority, God created everything and created us and knows us, okay? So he has the authority to tell us what is appropriate for us. Maybe you heard some of the same things in your household as what I did in my house. Um, it's my way or the highway. I'm the mommy, that's why. And uh, when you get your house, you can do it your way. In my family, it was when you get your boat, you can sail it that way. I never did get a sailboat, so I can't actually do things that way at my dad's house. So we sometimes bristle against this authority, right? But the fact is, when parents say that to their kids, they do it because they have a picture of understanding with an intent for caring for them. So much more God for us. It's not just a situation of, I'm up here and I'm doing whatever I want and you have to do it just because. And we have to understand that the difference between us is not really a limitation because we can't be good enough to understand. It's that he sees and knows all the things about us that we don't even understand. And that means we lack the capacity. So how do you bridge that understanding gap? That's why the method and the why matters. When we see the way that God acts towards us, and see what he did and how he solved this problem, we see his character through the process. It's like any kind of painting. When you look at a painting or a piece of art or architecture, you see it. You don't just see the final result. You also see the skill of the guy that designed it or the woman who made it. And you get a sense for what they care about, what their value is, what their skill is, okay? Results versus process. I think we could all agree that we're in a place where we tend to make those opposite. We kind of like, well, we could do it. We'll sometimes value results over process. Um, let me give you a picture of someone here. There's a guy with a COVID haircut, nice and buzz. Uh, you probably don't recognize him. This is Niccolo Machiavelli, who you might've heard from from school. He was the source of the idea, the ends justify the means. The political idea that you can do awful things as long as they result in a greater good, okay? That, well, if I do this thing that hurts a few people, but it helps a lot, it'll be worth it and you don't have to worry about that. Can I just say how thankful we are that that is not 
how God is. Not only does he care about method, he doesn't just care about what you do, he cares about your heart, your intent, and that's what he wants from you. He wants your heart more than he wants anything you can give him. But it's our privilege to give him what we have as a gift back. So we tend to focus on on getting things done instead of the method. And any teacher knows this. Think about it. How you do things is at least as important as what you do. Okay? Teachers know this. Parents know this. This gives me a chance to share my favorite proverb in the Bible, Proverbs 27, 14. If one blesses his neighbor in the morning with a loud voice, it will be counted as a curse to him. Okay? It doesn't matter how happy or how nice or how pleased you are to wake someone up at 6 a.m. If they haven't had their coffee, your happy greeting that's loud is going to be not counted as nice. I love that that wisdom is in here. God created us. God created coffee too. God sees our hearts and he cares about our motives. And we should strive for obedience in spirit and not just in deed. And I am so thankful, we should be thankful that we care about a God who cares about us in the process and doesn't leave us in a destination. He keeps carrying us along. So conclusion here, before we get into a little more about it is, when we see the way that God sent his son and the details of that, we see God's style. We see how he loves to show mercy, how he loves to solve this problem, and how he was willing to come to us. We see his character in how he does it. So what was it? What was it that he did? What is the, he sent his son. Now, we're gonna say that he was born of a woman into full humanity. So let's start with born. First off, he was born. We saw in the reading that sending his son was predicted, okay? There was a prophecy there. What that means is that God has a plan. This did not surprise God. Let me tell you what the plan was. God's plan was to send his son to live a perfect life, to be our sacrifice, and to rise from the dead. And even though he was with God in the beginning, this showing up was starting with his birth, and he chose to do it with a birth. And this isn't just a, oh no, what do I do? The kind of plan that you and I might make where we try to recover from what we found. God had a plan from the beginning. Nothing surprises God. In Genesis 3.15, we see after he talks about Adam and Eve had sinned and he describes what's going to happen when he's talking about talking to the serpent, the devil who tricked Eve. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. That offspring refers specifically to Jesus Christ, in addition to all of the enmity between us, children of God, and the devil. And who is better to say that God had a plan the whole time than Jesus? If you remember after the resurrection, after he died and came again, there were men walking on the Emmaus Road, and he showed up, but they didn't recognize him. And this is what he said to them. He said to them, how foolish are you, and how slow to believe that the prophets have spoken, wasn't it necessary that the Messiah, for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in the scriptures. God was setting it up the whole time. And last week, Zach talked about the timing of things. 
But in the timing, you have to know that he had a plan and he was doing it his way. And a side note, that means he's faithful and he's able. Now, how did he do it? We've got this picture of birth. And I want you to think about, just slow down and say, wow, birth. That is a uniquely emotional thing, okay? God got small. We saw that God put on flesh. Let's talk about the experience of childbirth. Generally. (laughs) Think about it. That new little one is vulnerable. You think of new parents wanting to defend that tiny person that can't even hold themselves up. And God knows the messy world that he's sending his son into. He was awaited, right? Think of all that excitement, you know, all the planning that you do, that preparing, making a nursery, whatever it is, full of hope, full of ideas, full of what the future will be. What is this new person going to be? And so much change. Bye-bye sleep, different budget. <laughs> Everything's going to be different. You know that. I don't think it's an accident that all of this emotional tie to having children is tied perfectly with this process of God's choice to send his son to meet us. But before we go on, I just want to admit that like, this is not joyful for everyone. We don't talk about a lot the sorrow that comes from this when we've lost little ones or something hasn't gone well uh, or we've lost family members. The other thing that you can say is that God knows our sorrow and he understands And even in that emotional connection of a loss, he understands and he's near us, not far away. But the other thing about birth, it's this odd mix. It's both totally common and kind of peculiar. If I, uh, let me do an informal poll. How many people, with a show of hands, um, raise your hand if you were born? Okay, you can put your hands down. I'm not gonna do what I did with the first service and say I could do another poll and say how many of you when you were born, at the time you were born, your mothers were a virgin? Just assume we know that answer, okay? You don't have to ask her, it's obvious, all right? So why do I say that? Because God did both. God brought his son into the world in a way that was so common to every one of us, that is so core to that beginning of life, okay? But he also did it in a way that was so different. It was a sign. He said he would send a sign. So you can say that was the one that's never happened before. And there's at least three big reasons for that. First, it proves the solution was from God. Once again, we can't solve the problem of our sin ourselves. We can't be good enough. And even in God's solution, it's God who stepped in to rescue us. Secondly, he blends his humanity and his deity. When Jesus was here, he was all man and all God, which meant that he was in communion with the Father, but he also suffered and understood everything that we went through. And finally, he broke that chain of inherited sin. That problem of sin that we had from Adam all the way through, he stepped in and made it different so that it would break that, so he could be perfect. Now, I know a lot of people have trouble with this whole idea of virgin birth, and that might be difficult if you were coming at this from the idea of uh, Christianity as a religion that was created by people, 
and it's just supposed to be fluffy and helpful and soothing, and we threw in this virgin birth thing to be something special and different. That's not what we're saying here. That's not what we're saying. We're saying is that Christianity explains through the Bible how God actually exists, created the world, we had this problem, and in his power and ability to do that, did something miraculous to send his son for us. So he said, born of a woman. That does mean, of course, he had the full humanity. It's a phrase that means he was a person, right? But I don't want to miss the fact that of a woman is here. I don't know if your background is one. If you've only had the experience of hearing about Bible things or, or history um, and haven't dug into what God means here, right? You might have a picture that women are not valued by God because the Bible takes place in a time and a place where women had very little or no power or control whatsoever. And so you'll see this and you'll mention their poor state sometimes and you'll think that that's what God is dictating. And this explains to us as one of many, many examples the exact opposite, that God cares for women, loves them, elevates them, values them. He saw women then, he provided care for them and opportunities as he does now. He sees you, he sees your pain, he sees your triumph, he sees it all. And um, this is so unexpected, okay? I mean, God uses the unexpected. He's always using the unexpected, the outsider. He takes care of us. And what really strikes me is that in this solution that God sets out to do, he could have done it all himself. But even now, he chooses to involve us. He involved Mary. This is a God who doesn't just do it all. He steps in because he needs to but he uses us. He uses the broken, the weak, the ordinary, the unexpected. Jesus, born of a woman into full humanity. And as such, Jesus had a human mind, had a human body. He had a human soul and emotions. And like us, he experienced all the challenges that we could. So he can relate to everything. And like us, he was tempted, but unlike us, he never sinned. And what that means is that he can be that sacrifice. He can take that place for us. So what does it mean? What does it mean that God became small? Why do we think he became small? We can't know all of the reasons, every single reason why God chose to step in and solve the problem this way by sending his son in vulnerability and weakness and using Mary and Joseph. We can ask him when we get there, but here's just a few ideas that I think are powerful and help me understand this. First off, I think that he did it because, so that we could trust him personally, okay? I don't know how else he could have done it. He might have done it in a way that he had no parents, right? If he just appeared as a man. But if we did that, we might doubt that he could relate to us, that he was all really human. Or maybe he could have done it with both parents without an immaculate involvement. But then, then we'd wonder if he was really God, right? So you've got this balance. And I think more than that, personally, he does this to show his style. And so we can understand him 
emotionally, okay? It's hard to appreciate and relate to someone that is so far above you and in higher authority that you don't get it. God is not a big box store. God is personal. He's not a vending machine where you just ask him for something and he gives you everything. He doesn't just want your obedience. He wants your heart. And he was willing to become, send his son to become small for that. And I think that this totally, totally shows, as we said, God's style, God's character. Over and over again, he becomes small in order to reach us. And I think what helps me understand this the best is I've seen a bunch of videos recently uh, that I've enjoyed where a family has taken on a rescue animal, like a dog that's come from a home that's been in abuse. And what you find in that situation is they're happy to bring this animal into the home, but the animal has all this baggage and pain and mistrust of people because they've been abused before. And in order to make this a safe place of healing, the owner has to basically become small, calm, and basically go way over the top to make themselves safe and unobtrusive. Not because the owner is weak or isn't in control of things, but because the injured animal only sees strength as abusive. And so just like that for us, God says, I have all the power in the universe, I created the universe, but I am willing to get really small so that you can see that I'm with you and care about you. He didn't lose his power. He made the choice to get close to us so that he could be close to us. And he knows that we're broken and that we need healing. There's plenty of other theological things that are important that we don't have to go into. It's less about um, his birth and more about his life. Like, he was our obedience. He was our substitute sacrifice. He understands everything. But for now, here's your key takeaway. God's ways are perfect, okay? Not only are they just a lot above us, they're perfect. But it's not just that they're perfect, they're good, and he has good for us. And all of that goodness, that style and that character of mercy and goodness culminated in his solving the biggest problem, the problem of our sin and the separation that we couldn't solve, that only he could solve by coming in and dying for us. And we can be with him if we only accept him as our Lord and Savior and just admit it's your way, not my way, not through anything I do. He's in control. He has a plan. Nothing surprises God. Not even this year. And you know what? What did we hear before? He said, God wants to be close to us. God is not subject to any travel advisories. He made the trip from the heavens to here for us. He's Emmanuel, God with us. So no matter how isolated we feel with these masks and the limitations and everything we have and what's going on, he is with us. And he was willing to be completely vulnerable and get small just to be with us. We are not isolated from him if we accept him and we are free to accept him. Let me pray and then we'll transition into communion. God and Father, we praise you for how enormous you are and how amazing your plan is. We thank you that you stepped into this world, that you sent your son in vulnerability so that he could grow in perfect and uh, die for us with that purpose in mind. And we thank you for loving us that much and we look for you to show us how 
to live in that gratitude. It's in his name we pray, amen.